Well, good morning once again. If you're new with us, welcome to our new meeting place. Um, this building was a building we had looked at three years ago to uh, rent space from. And after two years of praying and getting the fire marshal out and all that stuff, uh, on Friday, uh, uh, two years into the process, the owner says, we're all ready to go. We can sign papers on Monday. They're being at the, at the attorney and they're putting the final touches on. So that was Friday. So, Sunday, I took the whole church over here. And if you, I don't know if you remember that if you were with us. And we looked through the whole building and very excited. And then Monday, the owner calls me and says, uh, well, actually, I need more money. And he just blew up the whole deal. So I was like, well, Lord, why do we take two years? You know, I mean, what is that all about, right? Um, and then the owner sold the building to a lady named Kelly, keep her in prayer. Uh, she's a very kind woman. She's Catholic, and we're praying that uh, she, she, she speaks a lot in spiritual terms. So she may know the Lord. I don't know. But um, she bought it, and in uh, my office is down the other hall. So that's why she knows me. And she's wanted us to come over here for a long time, but there was a therapy place here. Uh, when you walk in, you see it on the on the top of the by the door there, and uh, they they moved out about a year ago, and uh, you know we were looking at other places at that time, so we didn't give this place another another uh, thought, and then uh, the governor mandated that we can only have 25 people uh, over at the rec center, you know, because they're a government facility, and I thought we thought that said we have to get out of here, we we are three months locked down live streaming which was okay but you know and then we got back in uh, live services beginning of uh, uh, beginning of july yeah and um, but then when he locked everything down again for groups of more than 25 people we said we have to get out of here so i called kelly and she said come on over i i've got the therapy place you know well you know i mean what you're seeing here right now uh, that's okay. Uh, what you're seeing here, and I want to just thank everybody who worked so hard this week. People were here day and night, painting and doing everything. Um, you know, uh, the, uh, the the if you should if you would have seen this place a week and a half ago, all right. Uh, the carpet. Uh, well, uh, let me tell you, we tried to raise it from the dead. Uh, it really needs to be replaced, but. Right now, I had it cleaned, and the guy, the young guy took a liking to us, and he cleaned it like two and three times. You see the, 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 the dirty water he extracted from this carpet. And then he put down a special microbial uh, spray, which killed all the bacteria. So you could really eat on this floor right now. <laughs> not, not that I'm recommending it, but I'm... Uh, are we here long term? I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. I was telling First Service that the Park District, where we just came out of, uh, in 87, uh, we needed a place. We outgrew a place. And so we went over there, looking around, went over there finally. And they said, yeah, we, we have a place. This was back in the old Lively Junior High. It's been torn down when they built a place we just left, okay, in 95. This is in 87, right? So the lady said, in fact, we just had a church leave that was here for 10 years. And I'm thinking to myself, there is no way we're going to be in the park district for 10 years. That was 33 years ago. So when you ask if this is temporary, I'm thinking so. But you better think rapture, because I don't know what else to tell you. All right? Um, 
But but God may work it out. We have options to expand some here and then rent classrooms if we need to expand the, the Sunday school. So that that's something good. Uh, we also have a couple of bathrooms inside this room. You can use them before and after service, but during service I would appreciate because I just don't want to hear the flushing. <laughs> if you go down the hall to the main bathroom, okay? And so I don't know what the Lord's doing. His timing is perfect. I keep thinking of Esther for such a time as this. So we'll, we'll see. Keep praying that God would direct us. Uh, those chairs you're sitting on have been donated by a, uh, a, a Sue, Polito knows real well, a gentleman who owns a company. He was kind enough to, you can use them as long as you need them. And so that was very kind. They're not bad. Uh, but we are praying about getting something more permanent because Jamie, the guy who lent it, I mean, he's got a business he's got to run. So uh, keep that in prayer. And if we decide to s sign a longer lease, we're month to month right now. She let us go month to month. She said, uh, she said, what are you paying over at the rec center? I said, uh, 4500 a month. I'll take it just to get you in here. And there we had it for a few hours every week. Here we got it all week long. So it's obvious God wanted us here. Okay, I got in my notes two main points. Number one, talk about the building. Number two, are you ready? Talk about the election. Now listen, I don't know your political views. I'm going to express my views pretty strongly today. If you know me, you, never, you know I never get political because I'm trying to minister to Democrats, Republicans, conservatives, everybody. All right, and I just don't want to isolate any group. I want everyone to come, hear God's word, and, and be saved and so on. So, but you'll have to cut me a little leeway today because of what's going on, okay? I've got two points under this talk about the election, and it's these two points. First of all, keep your eyes on God's sovereignty. Number two, keep your faith in God's plan and embrace his sovereign will, wherever it takes us. Let's look at those. Keep your eyes upon God's sovereignty. Sovereignty is a word Christians throw around a lot, but many probably couldn't define it. Sovereignty is a word that basically means God is in control of every circumstance and can do whatever he pleases. The first thing we always do in the face of any difficult or frightening circumstance as Christians is to remind ourselves that God is in control. He is on the throne. He is in control of every situation. And therefore, what are we worried about? What are we worried about? He is in control. He's sovereign. We all know Romans 8.28, where Paul said, We know that all things work together for good to those that love God and are the called according to his purpose. We often claim that, of course, personally, but it also applies nationally. What is a nation? It's made up of individuals and families, right? So we have to keep that in mind. This means that not only is God aware, Romans 8.28, not only is God aware of everything that touches my life, he is in absolute control over everything that touches my life. Again, he is sovereign. Nothing happens in my life except what God allows for his purposes, again, individually or even nationally. We have to remember that. Uh, and it doesn't say in Romans 8.28, and we see all things work together for good. It says, we know it how? By faith. Because God has told us. God has told us. 
And so we know it by faith. God has told us that in his word. Look, when I'm facing a terrible problem, I can go on being fearful, depressed, discouraged, and defeated. Or I can say to myself, as the psalmist said in Psalm 42, verse 5, I'll paraphrase, what is wrong with you? (laughs) Now he's talking to himself. It's okay to talk to yourself, as long as you don't argue with yourself. That's called being beside yourself. When we say he's beside himself, what we're saying is he's walking alongside himself and he's arguing with himself. It's okay to talk to yourself. It's not okay, not okay to argue. So, but, but David is talking to himself. He said, what's wrong with you? He was going through a very difficult circumstance. And he's saying, what is wrong with you, man? I mean, why are you so depressed? God is still on the throne. He is with me in this circumstance. He will see me through this, whatever crisis or trial you're going through. I'm going to hope in him, and he will deliver me out of this situation and put a new song of praise in my heart. God's going to do that. My son, there, well, I blew it. I told first service, there is a phenomenal blogger that has just started blogging, and maybe you've heard of him. His name is Phil Vollmeyer. Junior, Junior, and uh, in my son's most recent blog, he talked about how God's about God's sovereign, about God's sovereignty in light of what's going on in our country with regard to this presidential election. I like to use his blog for just a, for the first part of this message. All right, let me read to you how it starts out. He says thousands of uncounted, uncounted votes leave our nation's fate hanging in the balance. What has caused the delays? Why are the total counted votes not adding up? These are questions which weigh on the minds of every American. In a day and age of absolute corruption, there seems to be an aura of rage which has swept over our land. We hear of riots and protests in various cities around our country, as the anger only seems to be getting more and more out of hand. It can be tempting for us as Christians to find ourselves swept up in all the negativity. But if we want to experience the peace of God, then we must resist that temptation. As I reflect on the gross injustices and corruption which have overtaken our country, I find comfort in the 37th Psalm. Psalm 37 is a song of David. In his, heart, uh, in his heartfelt words to the Lord, David finds himself in deep distress. There are those who seek. Uh, there uh, were those who who seek the king's harm, and are only and and uh, it is only as David reflected on the goodness of God that he finds himself refreshed. This psalm serves as a great remedy against anger, and can set our minds at rest as well. Today, however, I want to reflect on three words which are found in the first five verses of this psalm. They are the words trust delight, and commit. So turn to Psalm 37. Are you guys cold? We're still trying to regulate. Okay, if it gets a little too cold, that thermostat on that wall, guys, just turn it a little warmer. I'm always hot, so it's like, I don't care. I know the girls get cold. All right, Psalm 37, let's start with verse 1. And guys, I'll be honest with you, I find myself going to Psalm 37 a lot, uh, especially in these days, okay? 
And I like it because it begins with the words, do not fret because of evildoers. Don't freak out. Uh, Don't come unglued. Uh, You know, stay calm. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herbs. Trust in the Lord. There's that first word. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Phil goes on to say in verse 3, we are commanded to put our trust in the Lord. We are not to take matters into our own hands, but rather let God sort these things out. What good is it to riot in the streets or take to Facebook in a fit of anger? What profit is there to be uh, made from having uh, what what profit is there to be made from having Twitter wars with those of opposing political viewpoints? There is much more value in giving the matter over to the Lord in prayer. Tell him why you are angry and ask him to take that anger. In doing so, we are placing our conflicts in the hands of God, who is infinitely more capable of exacting justice. I think of David's encounter with King Saul. He had been on the run from Saul because king, the king sought his life. Yet as God would have, it, if, uh, would have it, David found his enemy on the ground fast asleep. Did David take matters into his own hands? Absolutely not. In faith, he spared Saul's life, trusting that the Lord is far more just in, de- in uh, dealing with his enemies. David's encounter with Saul should serve as an important reminder for all of us in times of great distress. If we follow his godly example, then we will find ourselves on the path of true wisdom. Verse 4, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Phil goes on in verse 4, We are commanded to delight ourselves in the Lord. I believe that this is essential for us as believers because it keeps our eyes focused on him, on God. Over the past few days, I have found myself enraged. Well, he's not the only one. I think a few TVs have been broken. People have thrown things at them. Um, but the last few, I found myself enraged as I reflect on this presidential election. It seems very obvious to me that there is rampant voter fraud taking place. Yet as I have stewed over the potential of a Biden-Harris administration, I am reminded not to fret, but rather to delight myself in the Lord, right? Life may bring disappointments our way, but God's promises will never fail. Therefore, wisdom teaches us that it is better to find our happiness in the Lord. Psalm 37, verse 5, the third word, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Phil goes on in verse 5, we are commanded to commit our way to the Lord. We do not need to carry the weight of the burden on our shoulders, but rather place it at the feet of our Lord Jesus. As believers, we have a choice. We can either fret over a potentially fraudulent election, or we can commit our ways to the Lord. This is done by trusting that all things, both good and evil, are appointed by God. He has purposed in everything. He has a purpose in everything, uh, and we can trust that whatever he wills is best. I am reminded of the greatest injustice in the history of the world, the crucifixion. God allowed his only begotten son to be falsely accused and delivered 
into the hands of lawless men. He did that for the purpose of glorifying himself in the salvation of sinners. What appeared to be Satan's hour of triumph actually turned out to be his undoing. Even in the midst of the unthinkable, God was working out the greatest good for mankind. And he ends, Dear friend, do you find yourself enraged by a broken electoral system? Do you wonder if your vote is even making a difference anymore? If so, then I would encourage you not to allow Satan to get a foothold, but rather rejoice in the fact that the battle has already been won. We may not see justice in this life, but corrupt government officials will stand before the King of Kings and give an account someday. On that final day, we can be assured that justice will be served. In light of these things, let us not fret at the dishonest deeds of politicians, but rather entrust our future into the hands of a faithful God. End quote. Pick up Psalm 37 with verse 7. Let's continue. David says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Yeah, it's give you a heart attack and a stroke. <laughs> for evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. End quote. End Psalm 37, verse 11. Um, the king is coming. He's called the prince of peace. And when he comes, he is going to establish a kingdom of peace. He won't allow any violence, injustice, burning of buildings, anything like that. He is the Prince of Peace, and the good news is he's not elected every four years. <laughs> he serves and rules in perpetuity. So we, we've just seen briefly, keep your eyes upon God's sovereignty. Uh, finally, I, I like to talk about how we need to keep our faith in God's plan. God has a plan. God has a plan. We know that absolutely, all right? Nothing, nothing is spinning out of his control. God never has to put plan B into operation because plan A failed. He is sovereign. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he has a plan for everything, ultimately for our good, our eternal welfare, and the kingdom that is coming, right? So keep your faith in God's plan and embrace his sovereign will, whatever that winds up being. The place our country is in today is very reminiscent of the place Israel was in in Jeremiah the prophet's day. I want you to turn to Jeremiah 38. While you're turning there, let me give you the background. After the death of Solomon, uh, his son Rehoboam took over the kingdom. He was not so bright. He was kind of a coconut head. And he, he listened to the advice of the young guys and not the old wise men. And so he played tough with the people of Israel. He talked rough with them. And so the ten nations separated, went 
and establish another kingdom called Israel to the north, and the southern kingdom of Judah and Benjamin remained in the south. The northern kingdom of Israel had no good kings, and after a number of years, they got so wicked that God finally brought the Assyrians and took them into captivity uh, about 115 years before this point. The southern kingdom of Judah had some good kings and some honest periods of revival, and as I said, they hung on about 100 and so, 115 years longer. But now we come to Jeremiah's day. And God had been telling the, the uh, southern kingdom of Judah, he had been telling them to repent because just as he had done with, Assyria, with the, the northern kingdom, he would have no choice but to judge the southern kingdom and have them taken away into captivity. And so he sent out prophet after prophet who were basically crying out to the people to repent. Judgment was coming if they didn't immediately get on their faces before God and repent. Well, they didn't do it. They didn't do it, and finally they passed the, the point of no return. Now it wasn't any longer that they had the option to repent. Now it was get ready because judgment's coming. And so he sends Jeremiah out, who was one of the few good prophets uh, in Israel, uh, in the southern kingdom at this time. And here's what God told Jeremiah to tell the people. He told them, he, God said to Jeremiah, tell the people that the, I'm bringing the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, I'm bringing the, the nation is, is, is no longer able to repent. They have, they have lost the opportunity. So I'm bringing the Babylonians to take the nation captive. Tell the people, this is of me. This is of me. This is my will. Tell them to surrender when the Babylonians show up. They'll be taken captive to Babylon, but they will live. They'll survive. Tell the people if they fight against this, they're fighting against my will and they're going to die. The Chaldeans will destroy them. And so that message was what was behind as chapter 38 opens up. Let me just read to you. And I, you can butcher these names as well as I can. But um, there's four or five guys here that are mentioned. Uh, uh, Shephatiah. Gedaliah, uh, Jukal, uh, Pashur, and whoever else. Uh, but these guys made up the king, King Zedekiah's cabinet. They were a few of his princes, but we would say in our governmental terms, they were members of his cabinet, okay? They don't like what Jeremiah is telling everybody. They don't like the message he's going out preaching, right? They're furious really, because they think he's working for the enemy. Think about it. They don't believe that Jeremiah represents God. Jeremiah is one of the few prophets saying, saying, get ready, judgment's coming. Get your life right with God. You're going to go in captivity, but you'll live and, and, and you can rebuild then. They think that Jeremiah is trying to demoralize the people, trying to bring them down so that they just surrender and not fight. They're furious, right? And so at the middle of verse 1, all these guys came to the king, King Zedekiah, and, and said, you know, we've heard the words that Jeremiah speaks to all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, He who remains in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence, but he who, come, but he who goes over to the Chaldeans shall live. So anyone who wants to stand and fight is going to die. If they surrender to the Chaldeans, they're going to live. Is basically the, That's what Jeremiah is saying. They aren't happy about it. They're just repeating to the king what Jeremiah is saying, right? 
whoever goes over to the Chaldeans shall live. His life shall be as a prize to him, and he shall live. Thus says the Lord, this city shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. Therefore the prince said to the king, the princess said to the king, please let this man be put to death. Now, here's the thing. Well, it goes on. For thus he's weakened the hands of the men of war here in Judah who remain in the city and the hands of all the people. Jeremiah's demoralizing everybody by speaking such words to them. For this man does not seek the welfare of this people, but their harm. He's working for the enemy. Guys, these men were the forerunners of the leftists we see in our country. These are hardcore leftists. They have taken over the Democratic Party. There's still a few liberals left, but liberals want free speech. Liberals used to fight against foreign wars and things like that, right? Think of the 60s and so on. But the Democratic Party has been taken, and I pray for them. I'm not, you know, pray for them. The Bible says they're not our enemies. They've been taken captive by the devil to do his will. Pray that God would grant them repentance, that they can escape the snare, the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will, right? So they'll pray for these folks. I'm just telling you they've been taken captive by an evil ideology. That's what spiritual warfare really is. Spiritual warfare at its core is fighting against the lies of the devil, which take the form of various ideologies. The, the Democratic Party has embraced the ideology of leftism, which incorporates communism and all kinds of fascism and things. They would say, we're the fascists. We're the ones that are against free speech. No, 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 we are for true free speech on both sides. You know, my leftist friends, I don't care. I mean, I, I respect what they believe. I don't want to kill them. I, I just, I want to convert them. But they want to kill me. Because conservatives think that folks on the left are wrong. Folks on the left think we're evil. And they see it as a, almost a moral mandate to get rid of us. They're talking about concentration camps. They're talking about re-education camps if they take over. Have you been watching the news? It's amazing. This is what communist regimes do. There's no free exchange of ideas under a communist fascist regime. You're rounded up in the middle of the night, never seen them again, or you're taken to a gulag or a concentration camp somewhere, because in that kind of a government, there is no dissenting voices. Everyone has to walk in lockstep, have the same ideas, the same speech. Anybody who has different ideas than what the government says you have to have, you're an enemy of the state, you're against public welfare, and they have to either destroy you or get rid of you. So that, this was going on back in, uh, in uh, Jeremiah's day. They said, King Jeremiah is a wicked man. He's working for Putin. I mean, not Putin. He's, work <laughs> He's a puppet of Putin. You understand? The same mindset, isn't it? And so poor Jeremiah, in the name of some warped sense of right, what they did to this poor guy. My point, is, guys, is that this was God's will. I don't know if Joe Biden becoming president is God's will. Oh, but they're stealing it. I know. It may stand. It, it may, I'm not, I, I don't know. You say, well, how in the world, why in the world would God let Joe Biden 
and Kamala Harris win. That doesn't even make sense, Pastor. Well, it does if you're on God's throne looking at a nation that's become so wicked that maybe you're going to judge it. Or it could be the mercy of God to let them go this far to show you. I was reading a Christian commentator, made a good point. Maybe God's allowing this to show us how deep, how deep and depraved and sick and warped and ungodly the left has become. A wake-up call. Even, even Democrats are, are, are shocked. They're horrified. Did you see the, the one uh, House of Representatives, uh, I forgot what the state she was from. She went on the floor. She's a Democrat talking to Democrats. She said, we went way too far. We should never talk about defunding the police ever again or socialism. Or We're going to get our, and she swore, our butts kicked in 2022. We're going to lose everything because of this. If we steal, and she didn't say this, but this is where she's thinking, I'm sure. If we go ahead and steal this election, we might get away with it, but only for a while. There's going to be a backlash you ain't ready for. So maybe that's what God's doing. I don't know. Um, here's something else to think about. <laughs> You're going to want to run up here and slap me. <laughs> how, how long have we been praying for revival in, in, in our church and throughout the country, right? You know, I was thinking about this a, a few weeks ago. I've just been burdened and praying constantly. And I don't know if it was from the Lord. Don't say the Lord spoke to Phil. No. But the thought popped in my head. If Biden and Harris become, well, Biden becomes the president, and they begin to enact a lot of things and repeal tax cuts and the whole economy crashes, we'll say, and we're thrown into a, a depression and things, who knows? People are going to be terrified. And when people are terrified, they're more open to God. They're more open to God, right? So in a roundabout way, if you've been praying for revival, you might have been praying for Joe Biden to be president. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm not, I'm not really pushing it. I'm just you know, throwing it out there to consider. Look, let me just say this. We don't know God's will for this election. In fact, we don't know God's will for the future of America in general, which leads to a lot of uncertainty for the future, right? And uncertainty for the future brings a lot of anxiety and fear with it. We're studying John's gospel. We're about to enter into chapter 14, but we're in chapter 13, which takes place in the upper room the night before the crucifixion, right? As we enter into chapter, and Jesus has been telling the guys, I'm going away. I'm going to be leaving soon. And where I'm going, you can't follow me. Not yet. I'll come back and get you. That's, that's chapter 14. But as he's been talking about going away soon, the disciples were terrified. What do you mean you're going away? You can't go away, Lord. We need you. We've come to depend on you. You've been right here by our sides the whole way. First of all, the Lord said, I'm not really going. I'm going to go back to the Father, pray to the Father. He's going to send you another comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who will be with you for the rest of the time on your time on the earth. I'm not going to leave you alone like orphans. I will come to you, John 15, 18. I'm going to come, I'm going to be with you. Except where I was in bodily form, the spirit is able to be with people from all over the world, all over the world. Jesus could only be in one place at one time because he took on a physical body, had limitations. Goes back to the Father, praise the Father, Pentecost, the Spirit is poured out, the Spirit can indwell believers 
all over the face of the planet. The body of Christ could spread out everywhere. And Jesus would be inside every one of those hearts. But they were afraid. They were afraid. There was a lot of uncertainty about the future. What was the remedy for them and for us? The remedy is very simply to trust in the Lord with all your heart and fear not. Now I realize that's easier said than done. But that's the answer. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and fear not. I mean, you know, fear is a tool of the devil. Paul said in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, right? But of power and of love and of a sound mind. Fear is a very powerful weapon that the enemy tries to use against the people of God. Somebody has said, and I'm quoting, fear is the most crippling human emotion. It paralyzes soldiers in the midst of battle and keeps Christians from sharing the life-saving message of the gospel with those who are lost, end quote. In the scriptures, I will try to balance this, okay? In the scriptures, there are places that admonish us to fear to fear some things, and even extol fear, some fear is a virtue. I'll give you two examples. Proverbs 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? Now, that is not the kind of fear that many people think of or exhibit in a, in a very difficult circumstance. Um, this is a reverential fear of God, but it's uh, the kind of fear that, well, first of all, it doesn't, uh, when an evil uh, 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 dad comes home who, uh, who abuses his kids, and, 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 the, and the kids, young kids, uh, you know, see the car pull up in the driveway, dad's home, they run and hide somewhere in terror because he's, you know, he's, he's beating them up and stuff like that. Our Father in Heaven is not like that. But this is a reverential fear that, says, you know, Lord, I don't, I don't want to do anything that's going to dishonor you. It is coupled with the fear of consequences, though. Because if we do break uh, commandments and all, then we need to fear the consequences because God loves us too much to let us just get away with things, and he'll discipline us through consequences to bring us back into a right relationship with him. But I like Isaiah 66, verse 2, where God says, But on this one I will look. On him who is poured of a contrite spirit, listen, and who trembles at my word. In other words, someone who fears to disobey me. That's a good fear. That I fear ever wanting to disobey, disobey God. Look, those are just a couple examples of godly fear. But guys, there are over 300 places in the Bible where we are commanded by God as his people not to fear certain things. You can run a lot of these down through a concordance if you want. I'll just kind of bring them together into three main categories. We are not to fear man or crises or the uncertainty of the future. I mean, fear robs us of our peace and our joy because it robs us of our faith. Very important. What causes us to fear? Well, we become fearful when we lose the awareness of God's presence in our lives. We, we, you know, the Bible says God is with us. In fact, not only is God with us, He's in us. Jesus came in when we accepted Him as our Lord and Savior. So He is always with us, right? We are coming up onto the Christmas season where we celebrate the birth of 
Emmanuel, which is a word that means God with us. Yes, when Jesus became a man and came down to the earth, he was literally the Emmanuel, God with us. Once you open your heart to Christ, he became the God within us. And he will never leave us nor forsake us. We have to understand it. Hebrews 13, verse 5. He himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Oh, but pastor, I blow it a lot. Did he say, except if you blow it a lot? <laughs> I will never leave you nor forsake you. Oh, but pastor, I can't get rid of, I can't break, uh, you know, the habit of drugs and alcohol. Did he say, except for drugs and alcohol? And he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We're a work in progress. This room is a work in progress, right? But we are the greatest work in progress. When God saved us, he took a, a stamp, stamped on our forehead under construction. And that's been going on since the day we got saved. And he'll complete the work he began when the trumpet sounds, the angel shouts, and we hear the voice of our Savior say, come up here. And on the way up, and it's not going to be a long trip, by the way. <laughs> this mortal will put on immor immortality. This corruption will put on incorruption. I'm going to receive my glorified body. The work will be done. The work will be done. I, I love, and I, I don't have time to have you turn to these. We ran out of time in first service. And uh, these seats, by the way, are only ready for like 40 minutes of bottom time. <laughs> I'm looking for ones rated an hour. The message will get much longer when the new church get here. But, but okay. But I'll just, you can write down the references, okay? Another one I love is Isaiah 41, verses 10, and then I'll add 13. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Verse 13. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand. Don't you love that? I will hold your right hand like a parent holds a small child's hand. Amen. You think you're on your own? No. When I take my granddaughter to Walmart or Target, I don't let her go run wild. Why shop? I got her by the hand. God said, I got it covered. I got you covered. I got you by the right hand. Saying to you, fear not, I will help you. And so simply put, guys, the cure for fear is faith, putting our trust in the Lord. Psalm 56, verse 11, our response should be what the psalmist said. I, I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? In Psalm 56, verse 3, but when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. Guys, fear and faith are mutually exclusive. Fear and faith are mutually exclusive. In other words, you can't walk in faith and at the same time live in fear. Either you're going to live in fear or you're going to walk in faith. You can't do both. Fear and faith are mutually exclusive. And this goes for whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. Psalm 46, verses 1 to 3, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. You can read the whole thing. You get the idea. I don't care how violent things get. I don't care how every, if everything seems like it's crumbling down around us, right? 
We have to trust in the Lord. And let me, I, I, I want to say that because in the days of, ahead, our faith might be tested in ways we would have never thought possible even a month ago. Even a month ago. There is a possibility that our nation could descend in anarchy and in civil war. I don't know. The devil might try to come at us like a flood, the Bible says, and overwhelm us with fear and uncertainty about the future. You know, the devil tries to get our eyes off of God and onto our circumstances. Remember Peter on the Sea of Galilee? When he kept his eyes on the Lord, he was able to walk on water. He was able to do the impossible by God's grace. But then he saw the size of the waves and the howling of the wind. He took his eyes off of Jesus, looked at his circumstances, and began to sink. That's always the way it's going to be. And what did Peter do? He cried out a quick prayer, Lord, save me. And Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and said, Why did you fear? You have little faith. Am I not here? Am I not here that I'm going to let you drown? Nobody ever died in the presence of the Prince of Life. I challenge you to get the Gospels out and check it out. Nobody ever died in Jesus' presence because he is the Prince of Life. And he wasn't going to let Peter die. But it, it does teach us a good lesson. Something the devil will always use. He'll roar like a, a lion. He will, you know, the lightning and the thunder and the storms and everything is shaking. And it's just because he wants you to get your eyes off of God and onto the circumstance because then you're going to start going under. Then he can sow fear in your heart. Your faith is destroyed. Without faith, you can't please God. And now you're on your own, basically. So what do we do when we find ourselves... Well, Jesus said that in Luke 21, 26, people's hearts would be failing them for fear of those things coming upon the earth. All right, I'm not saying that what we're seeing right now is that, but it might be part of it. We are really out of time, so I'm going to expedite this here. I, I preached this eight months ago. I added one point to it. When we first entered into the COVID thing, and these things still apply, you can go back and, uh, and get that uh, teaching online, Fear Not, for I am with you, all right? Uh, I've, I've uh, entitled this one, what did I call it now? Um, Do Not Fret Because of Evil Tours, okay? Uh, but I'm going to give you quickly eight things that you need to do when difficult or frightening circumstances overwhelm you, okay? And the, we already looked at the first one. Remember that God is on the throne. He's sovereign. He's in Nothing is spiraling out of his control. And sometimes what looks like the worst thing that could possibly happen is God using it to bring about the best thing that could possibly happen. Case in point, the crucifixion. The disciples were, they were just beside themselves with anguish. The worst possible thing that could have ever happened happened. They killed our Messiah. They killed our King. They didn't realize that Jesus had to die before he could rise and conquer death and bring about a kingdom that would never end, an eternal life for all that would believe in him. They didn't realize that the worst possible thing God uses to bring about the best possible thing, our salvation. He does it all the time. He does it all the time. Number two, if you feel overwhelmed and with anxiety and worry, take some time to quiet your heart in God's presence. Uh, you know, the world takes refuge in pills and alcohol, but we take refuge in the Lord our God, right? And so, you know, the psalmist said in Psalm 27, verse 14, Wait in the Lord, be of a, a good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, wait on the Lord. 
just get your get yourself in God's presence, right? And, and just take some time to let God quiet your heart. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. That's Isaiah 30, verse 15. Look, when you're facing terrible news, when all the major news outlets tell you that Biden has won, that's terrible news, right? Fortunately, the news networks don't pick the president. The Electoral College casts votes for the president. I don't know who appointed these people. As the, uh, I don't remember in the Constitution reading how that the news media will pick the president. But when you're facing terrible news, don't panic. Spend some time in God's presence and let him calm you, strengthen you. Number three, take refuge in God's word and cling to his promises. There are many great and precious promises that God has given that apply to what you're going through right now as individuals and as a nation. I'll give you two to look up. Joshua chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. And Psalm 34, verses 17 through 19. Take refuge in God's word and cling to his promises. I find that spending time in God's word when I'm going through a crisis or, or a trial, it just, and I love to hang out in the Psalms for a while because I, I draw great comfort uh, from the psalmists who went through a lot of difficult times in their own lives and uh, drew strength from God's strength, okay? Number four, spend some time worshiping the Lord. As I have told you before, let me say it again. Many times in my life, the devil has come at me like a flood, and I'm telling you, overwhelming me with, with oppression and uh, thoughts of depression and just overwhelming and where my head feels like it's going to explode. Literally, physically, it affects me. And I have gone off somewhere quiet and just put on some worship music. And what that does is it gets your mind off of the circumstance, back onto God. It gets your focus right. And as I'm focusing on God and his greatness and his love and his promises through all these wonderful worship songs, suddenly I'm being recharged. I'm feeling strengthened. I'm not overwhelmed anymore. God's on the throne. What am I worried about? He's God, right? Number five, pray. Pray. Classic passage on this, Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know, when I talk about just accepting God's will, embracing God's will, fine, fine. I don't know what God's will is yet for this election. Therefore, we fight like crazy. We don't give up and just adopt a defeatist attitude. Oh, well, what are you going to do? Uh, this election is not over. And we need to pray constantly. I am calling for a Zoom prayer meeting every Monday night at 7 o'clock until this president is is officially determined. Tomorrow, we'd like to call for a day of fasting and prayer. If you want to join us, great. If not, please come and join the Zoom meeting. I will take uh, send out a Zoom link, and we're going to meet every Monday night at 7 o'clock for a Zoom prayer meeting until this election has been decided. And then, of course, we pray after that as well. But, okay, Monday nights is usually my men's prayer meeting, but I want to get the whole church involved uh, until this has been decided, right? Um, 
But we just need to pray like crazy. Number six, obey God completely with all your heart and all he tells you to do. And what he's telling you to do, first of all, is love your enemies. Love your enemies. They are not our enemy. They've been taken captive of the devil to do his will. Pray for them. Pray for them, okay? Don't hate your enemies. Don't try to retaliate against your enemies. Love your enemies and pray for them. And then God tells us, and something else he tells us to do is not fear. Don't panic. That's hard. I know. It's, it, it's impossible. It would take the love of God to have you love your enemies, okay? But aren't we children of God? Romans 5, 5, when we got saved, God poured his love, agape love into our hearts. It's there. We don't have to use it. It's there, though. Unbelievers can't draw from God's love. They don't have it. We can, but we don't often. That's our fault because we're so busy hating our enemies. And that's the problem. That's the problem. But love your enemies. Pray for them. Don't fear. Don't panic. These are things that God has commanded us. And number seven, finally, don't forsake the fellowship of the body of Christ. Guys, now more than ever, we need each other's strength and encouragement. This is not a time to isolate yourself from the body of Christ, you know? This is a time to, to, to cultivate fellowship, to, to seek uh, after it, you know, with other Christians. Uh, come to church. Get involved in a home group, right? Uh, cultivate close relationships with godly, spirit-filled Christians, not carnal Christians they are going to bring you down. Call one another, men calling men, women calling women. I know women in the church who call each other every week to pray for their families and their nation and their church. We need to do more of that, okay? But this is not a time to run and hide and, and, and roll over and just give up and all is lost. No, all is not lost. Anything worth fighting for is worth uh, fighting for. Anything that's worth having is worth fighting for. I remember during the Revolutionary War, at one point, General Washington looked like they were go they, they, the, the, the army was over. Guys, farmers were running back to their farms. They were tired of fighting. They had to get back to the work of their farms. He just had a bunch of ragtag militia guys, right? I forgot the, the exact story. I'm, it just popped into my head. Um, but I remember at one point, it looked like they were completely defeated. That's before he, he crossed the, the Delaware, Okay. And, uh, and, and, and how God worked it. He, he went ahead and, and he had his little ragtag group left, had them cross the, um, the Delaware, right, river? And that was the thing that, and he caught the enemy by surprise. And God shielded them with a, with a cloak of mist. They crossed over unknown. In the middle of the night, they came upon the enemy, and that was battle. They won the battle. It was the turning point. Reason I bring that up is I've always remembered that story, because when it looks like all hope is gone, when all of our uh, energy is exhausted, when it looks like there's nothing but defeat staring us in the face, our God often will put us in a situation that goes so far beyond our ability. When He gives us the victory, He gets all the glory. Think of Gideon, right? Wants you to go beat up on the the Midianites. All right, put the word out. 9,700 guys showed up. Oh, that's way too many. Okay, all you guys that just got married and you're afraid, go home, right? <laughs> well, but there was like, you know, I, I forgot the number, but, you know, it was a few thousand left. They're no good anyways, you know. Well, that's you got too many. Go down and, and get a drink of water. All the guys who, 
who uh, stuck their face in the water and drank water like a dog. Guys, tell, tell the guys to go home. All those who cupped the water with their hand and brought it to their mouth, they're the guys I want to use. Apparently because they were watching. They were vigilant. They weren't letting their guard down. 300 guys. 300 guys. This election is not over. I don't care what anybody says. Joe Biden can, you know, can, can get himself a T-shirt, I'm the new president. I don't care. He can, he can parade around. He can make speeches and how wonderful and how, how conciliatory. I'm going to bring people together. You called my president a Nazi for four years, and now you're going to bring us all together? I don't think so. But anyways. Um, guys, we know. It, it, let me just end by saying this. There is great peace from knowing that our future is secure as children of God. Amen. I don't care what happens with this election. I don't care who becomes president. We know what our future holds, right? Amen. And that we don't need to fear what's coming. And therefore, the psalmist ends Psalm 37. If you want to just turn back there quickly. These are the final words of the psalmist, David. In Psalm 37, with all this in mind, what we just talked about, okay? I'll just read you verses 34 to 40. So again, in the light of everything we just talked about, here's how he ends this psalm. Wait on the Lord and keep his way. Keep doing what you're doing for, for, for Jesus. Keep serving him. Keep loving him. Keep living for him, being a light. Wait on the Lord and keep his way. And he shall exalt you to inherit the land someday. Jesus has come to establish a kingdom. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. David said, I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a native green tree. Well, that's the day we're in right now. These tech giants think who they are. They think they're God. They can tell us what we can read, what we can say, what we can do practically. They're spreading themselves like a native tree. You know? God's going to cut them down to nothing. Who do they think they are? They're going to find out who they are. Because God's going to bring judgment upon, I'm telling you. On the tech industry, on Google, on Facebook, on Twitter, on everything else. Because they have gotten together in cahoots to turn this election over to Joe Biden. And let me say this to you. This is not about Donald Trump. The Bible says clearly that God raises kings and brings them down. He puts rulers in place because he's God. He's sovereign. And he can bring them down whatever he wants. He raises up kingdoms and brings down kingdoms. These people are saying, not to Donald Trump, to God Almighty, we don't care what you say, what you want. We've got the power, and our man's going to be put into power, not what you want. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. Let's take a few steps back, because when the lightning bolt hits, I don't want to be anywhere near these guys. I'm telling you, right? Davis, I've seen these big shots spreading their wings, you know, like a native green tree just spreading their kingdom. Verse 36, yet he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Indeed, I sought him, 
but he could not be found. Mark the blameless man and observe the upright, for the future of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off, but the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the, in the time of trouble, and the Lord shall help them and deliver them, the righteous. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. The battle is not ours. It belongs to who? The Lord. The Lord. Remember that. This is not your battle. You pray and you seek God that his man would, would be put in power of his President Trump. Thank you, Lord. We can have just another four-year reprieve of, from judgment. Thank you. That gives us time to see our family saved. But Lord, if Joe Biden is your man, uh, then so be it. And I will look at America as the Titanic going under. It's too late to save her. But now we shift into a a rescue mode, trying to rescue as many people off this sinking ship before it goes under. That will be our main ministry priority. But I hope it doesn't come to that. I hope there's time for America. Nineveh was 40 days from judgment. God spared them because they repented. I hope we have at least that much time to repent. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. It gives us, uh, gives us great hope. Lord, you are sovereign. You are on the throne. Thank you, Lord. We don't have to worry. What can man do to us? Even if man takes our life, we're going into your presence forever. So, Lord, thank you. Give us strength. Give us hope. Bless our prayer times. Infuse within this church uh, uh, the hearts of prayer warriors, Lord. Make our church a house of prayer. Uh, uh, Lord, a soul-winning church as well. But we pray, Lord, that you will give grace to this nation. We deserve judgment. Uh, we ask for mercy that you would give us Donald Trump as our president for the next four years that all the voting fraud would be exposed, computer glitches would be identified and corrected, and that if they have to do the whole thing over again, Lord, that, that put it in the hearts of our leaders that that's what has to be done, and that the, the true leader, the true president would be elected. Father, we thank you for all this and ask you to keep blessing this church for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.